0: Live. Live from New York. To New York. This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. Wait for the win. Got it! Oh, he broke his ankle. Follow me.
1: Follow me he put it. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. Mike Phillips.
2: What is up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode
0: of the Just and the Suffering Podcast, featuring New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. This week, got a good show for you. We're going to dive into the world of college football this week. I'll be joined in just a bit by Matt Fortuna of The Athletic, one of the national college football writers for that website. We're going to talk about the latest in the world of college football. As of recording time, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have postponed their seasons. They're attempting to play in the spring, while the Big 12 The SEC and the ACC, for now, they're playing on. They are trying to go ahead as close to normal as they can. We'll talk to Matt in just a bit to discuss what's going on there. We are also going to be joined today by our legal correspondent, Phil Freyetta. We've talked to him throughout the summer as we've gotten a look at how these sports are planning to come back, with or without fans. This week, we're diving into the football, it all, both college and the NFL, with Phil today. Also today in the Pop Culture segment, we're going into the world of Hard Knocks for the first time. The premiere came out last week. I chatted with our football guy, Joe D'Aluisi, on the podcast. We talked about the premiere of Hard Knocks, what we're looking forward to coming up. But up next, our opening tip with Matt Fortuna of The Athletic right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening test. And here we go. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, talking college football today with Matt Fortuna of The Athletic. Matt, this is Mike Phillips here in New York. How are you doing?
1: Doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me, buddy. How are you?
0: doing pretty good I'm getting I'm interested to see what's going on in college football here I feel like there's so many like scattershot plans going on it's so hard to keep track of what's actually going on
1: no no kidding um I, I hope for Goldberg's sake that whatever I say now is updated by the time uh this, this thing goes live on the air but it, it, it's I mean I, I joke about that but I've done a couple radio and TV hits over the last couple of weeks that were that everything I said just looks laughable in retrospect because we're, we're playing the hand, hand we're dealt so to speak um it's crazy. It really is. I mean, Tanner Morgan, the Minnesota quarterback held a zoom press conference today. And I asked him, look, from, from your perspective as a player in the middle of training camp where you need structure, where you're used to being at a certain place at a certain time and knowing what's going to come next. How did you and, and the locker room process uh, the last two weeks between, you know, Rashawn Bateman, one of your best players declaring for the draft, not being out uh, a week later, you see the big Ten canceled their season. And, he said, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> you can't compare it to anything in the past. He said there was one point where, uh, that they're getting texts in their locker room before a walkthrough from people, from players in other conferences saying, sorry, your guys' season got canceled. And they're like, what do you mean? We're going to have a walkthrough right now. We haven't heard that. We're just going to go out and do our jobs. So, uh, I really feel for the people in the heart of it. I mean, as crazy as our jobs are, you know, in some ways, we're more informed than the players and coaches, at least. The ones I've talked to have been asking for me, me for information as much as I have them because um, <laughs> in some ways, the pandemic's been a great equalizer because everyone's on their own and everyone's just communicating uh, digitally and, and not in person. And in other ways, I mean, you're just seeing who's really in charge here. And definitely not players. It's not even coaches who so are control freaks. And for the most part, it's not a checkers either. It's school presidents and conference commissioners. And those are people whose prerogatives and priorities are, are don't always align with what a lot of us in the general public might look at as a priority. So uh, we're learning a lot right now, and uh, it'll be fascinating to see how this unfolds uh, between now and whenever the first games next week off, which I think now would be the weekend of September 12th with the ACC.
0: Yeah, it sounds about right. And can you take a little, talk back a little bit to last week? Like you mentioned a little bit before about how crazy this was when, like, the Big Ten, the MAC, the Pac twelve, and the Mountain West all sort of dropped their season. Everyone else is sort of fluctuating between, do we play? Do we not play? Do we push back? Do we go on schedule? do We change this. I mean, as we recording on Monday, the seventeenth, the SEC dropped their schedule today. It feels like the pieces are still all over the place.
1: It really does. I mean. As exciting as it is to see those those kind of that kind of news and those kind of headlines, and to to get into the nitty gritty of, of comparing schedules and saying you know who got an easy slate, who got a hard slate, who's going to win this game, what's that day going to look like, as fun as that is, I mean, not to uh, throw a glass of cold water in everyone's face, the Big Ten did the same thing six days before they end up canceling their season. So I, I think. That more than anything else shows you how fickle this entire exercise is. We're, we're seeing, um, we saw North Carolina. We're seeing some other parts of the country schools open up campuses for, for in-person learning. And we're seeing college kids act like college kids. And that's in some ways it's predictable because that's why they go to college in many ways. <laughs> in other ways, it's unpredictable because there's so much we don't know about this virus and its effects on really everyone, especially young people, and and how it spreads and and what that means for a group of 18- to 22-year-olds, say 100 or so, who have been following all the rules and working really hard to uh, have their football season open on time. Uh, They can do everything right, and from my informal gathering, over 90% of the college football teams in America have done everything right. I think you got to applaud these players and coaches for for being very disciplined and and for, for doing everything they can to put themselves in position to have a season. But at the end of the day, it's really out of their control. And that's a frightening, uh, that's a frightening scenario. I think for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. You brought North Carolina and today, something interesting happened with North Carolina, where basically we saw the school in Chapel Hill, the Tar Heels, basically they sent all the students home and said, we have to go remote after they had clusters of COVID break out on their campus. And, in the football sense, you might say, "Hey, this is great because there's less students on campus and there's less chance of people getting affected." But then again, you have the optics of our student athletes are—they're the only ones on campus. Is that a good look for the ACC? That—that's such a tough balancing act for that league to try and figure out.
1: It's a really tough act. I mean, on one hand, I think you know the common man and woman could look at a group of revenue-producing uh, football and basketball players and say, "Yeah, they're—they're they're not." Like they're student-athletes, but they're not your average students. They're just not. <laughs> you know, they're, people aren't filling up stadiums to, to watch someone play in school band or, or to take a math test or whatever it is you're going to college for. They're filling it up to watch football and basketball. I mean, and, and that grosses a lot of money uh, for the adults in charge. And, and so, uh, yes, they are safer uh, in one building under the care of their coaches and their medical professionals and they have been doing everything right for the most part but uh, I, I want to say back in may you know early on in this thing and all kinds of fun kind of blend together at this point i mean most of the administrators uh, in charge of college sports were, were pretty adamant hey if there's no in-person classes it's going to be in-person college it's going to be hard to have college football you can't have one without the other and i just think look if they want to loosen the reins on this notion of amateurism, which I think we're all over at this point. We, we all see it for what it is, that it's a billion dollar business that so doesn't pay taxes and doesn't pay its labor and they people in charge and making money want to keep it that way. Uh, cause they're businessmen. But if they loosen the reins on that, if they admitted that these guys weren't normal students and opened the floodgates for whatever may come with that, and it could be a lot as far as financial compensation and, and the way the food chain, uh, uh, changes up uh, then I think that's what they need to do I, I just think covering the sport for over a decade now I, I know how the people in charge work I know how they react uh, I think even if that meant saving a season which is going to cost them a lot of money at least in the short term uh, they're just not going to give it they're going to do everything they can to protect the quote-unquote amateurism model as is even if that means a season getting canceled despite the fact that we've seen with other sports in the professional model uh, that this could work <laughs> yeah. if you acknowledge certain truths which they aren't ready to acknowledge
0: yeah that's definitely true I mean I'm I'm sitting here today I mean all the baseball games are going on with no fans in the buildings People players getting tested all the time but I do think in terms of college it feels like I correct me if I'm wrong here I feel like the big 12 is sort of the swing here the power 5 and like, I feel like if they've been sort of the most on the fence and like if they decide not to play the ACC would follow and leave the SEC on their own island so is that am I reading that situation correctly I would say the Big
1: 12 or the ACC uh, together individually, however you want to frame it, th- those two are the ones everyone's waiting to, to decide on. Uh, the Big 12 has been much more transparent uh, as far as reporting positive cases to the public and, and letting everyone know uh, the state of those campuses and those football programs, whereas the UCC, uh we've seen it with Florida State. We, we've seen it with a few other schools. They have not been as transparent. Um, but the ACC is also... A bigger conference that covers a wider portion of the country. So you have a lot of different viewpoints and opinions and priorities among different institutions. Uh, but, but I do think when one cancels the other well, yeah, the SEC, as much as we like to joke that they, you know, it means more and they care more about the fall and they go it alone and they would just declare the SEC champion, the national champion. Um, I think he's been pretty adamant publicly so far that they don't want to be in that position. And if the other four power conferences were to uh, give up on the fall, I think the SEC, uh, slowly maybe, but surely, would get in line with everyone else. I mean, it's a very big cliche to say not a good look or the ethics in the situation. But that's the reality of the situation, to have 80% of power pie football saying it's not safe for our guys to play, and the other 20% saying we're just going to throw them out there anyway, that's a tough one. Um, Frankly, I think it's pretty absurd right now. We're talking about two conferences that have already shut down while three others are still going, but there's still a lot of time for things to change for better or worse, and I think those three conferences that are still active uh, with the fall season and pressing forward will take all those resources and data uh, as much as they possibly can. And What we've seen today from North Carolina is any indication it's probably not too promising and uh yeah. <laughs> a test.
0: Yeah, let's let's go down the worst case scenario here, where they all try and play in the spring. Obviously, like the Big Ten's talking about doing that. The Pac twelve is as well. Obviously, I think there's two concerns with the spring. I think number one is obviously all your big draft prospects, like your Trevor Lawrence's and your Justin Fields, all are going to drop out because they get ready for the draft. And then you also have to worry about, like, for the guys we're going to play. It's like, is it safe for them physically to play, like, eight games in the spring and then another 10 or 10 to 11 in the fall? Because I feel like that's something that hasn't really been explored in too much detail yet.
1: Yeah, I think that second part of your question is much more open-ended as far as you get a different array of opinions, depending on who you speak to. Uh, a lot of administrators and, frankly, a lot of people in the media have said that that would not be. That would be pretty reckless. That would not be responsible to so drop people out there for two seasons, two football seasons within one calendar year. Uh, I'll say this: most of the football coaches I've talked to think it's very doable, and we've seen Jeff Brom from Purdue put out a, a very detailed model of what an abbreviated spring season could look like. Uh, you got to remember, these guys are hitting really hard for 15 practices every spring. They're already there. They're already basically conditioned to do that. Um, we'll just be keeping score this time and they'll be traveling and playing, hitting opponents and not each other. So uh, I'm not a medical expert. It's very easy for me behind, from the comfort of my desk, behind my desk right now to say this, but I do think physically that a spring season could be feasible. My concern is one, a lot of us, you know, fans, media, you name it, have been banging this drum for a long time, uh, as far back as May or June. And got absolutely laughed at by the folks in charge of college athletics. No, 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 we're, we're going ahead with the fall. No, that's not feasible, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, you got the Big Ten and Pac-12 saying, all right, we're not going to play this fall. Let's explore the spring. Well, what were you doing the last few months? I, I, I'd love to know because a lot of us who are living in reality, we're, we're trying to plan ahead and trying to see what the best-case scenario is here. It may not be ideal, but welcome to 2020. Welcome to life in a pandemic. Things are not ideal right now. Things are different. Every single sector of every single one of our lives has changed for better or worse and will not look the same uh, in the immediate and probably long-term future. That's just the nature of the beast that we're all trying to wrap our arms around right now. So uh, I think spring is doable. I think uh, the later that the other conferences don't cancel, and let's say for argument's sake they go right ahead and plan the fall, how's that going to work? you got a handful of conferences playing the spring and a handful playing the fall. Sounds very fun and chaotic from an entertainment (laughs) standpoint. I have a hard time seeing that happening. I also think if these guys couldn't even figure out how to cancel together or schedule games together, how are they going to draw up a complete new season in a different part of the calendar year amid a pandemic together? That's what I would like to know. It took the leaders of college football 144 years to figure out how to run a 14 playoff. Do you (laughs) think they can draw up a, a schedule a few months from now not to mention cross all the T's and dot all the I's when it comes to eligibility issues and dealing with the early defections, like you said, and working with the NFL to ensure um, eligibility or, or draft eligibility or maybe move the draft back. I, I mean, I do think the idea of, of not playing in the spring because the 20 best players might not play, I think, I think that's foolish. I mean, yeah, I get you'd be upset if you're Ryan Day and Dallas Swinney you don't want to lose your best player. But you know what? your rosters are full of five stars anyway. Your backups are better than 90% of the other team's players as is because that's how high of a level you've recruited at. So I don't worry about that point so much as everyone working together and making it happen because if we've learned one thing from the last five months, at least as it relates to college football, uh, there's no one in charge and no one knows how to play nice and work together. And we're asking them to basically do a complete 180 on that and not only to cancel something together but to draw something up together on a moment's notice. Look, it would be awesome if it happens. I don't mean to sound pessimistic. I, I just know better than to get my hopes up, uh, knowing who we're dealing with here.
0: Yeah, that's certainly fair. And I think, honestly, the the big question is in terms of this: like, if we go down the doomsday path here, like, which teams lose out the most? Like, who is the loses the most? If there's no season.
1: Um, I mean, Ohio State. I mean, Ryan Day has, has said something of the sort of you know this had the chance to be a once in a lifetime team. And that may be coach speak in some regard, but you look at how talented that team was last year. Uh, with a first-year head coach, mind you, who's now got another year under his belt, and a guy who's going to be on the short list for the Heisman Trophy who probably won't play down with college football again in Justin Fields. Uh, I think Ohio State is a team that loses a lot. And to keep it within the big time, I think Penn State's a team that loses a lot. I think this had a chance to be James Franklin's best team, and not only that, uh, pre-pandemic at least, when, or actually pre-cancellation when um, it looked like would be fans in the stands I mean you get Ohio State at home which you've beaten them there before and you've come down close to beating them there uh second time losing by one two years ago at beaver Stadium so i I think Penn State and Ohio State are the two teams that that really uh, are going to regret I say regret it's not their doing, but they're really gonna miss out uh i not being able to play this fall uh as far as the pack 12 thing we'll see um, some people would say USC pr- probably gets the mulligan. Clay Holding gets the mull- mulligan, right? Because everyone thinks he should be fired, but he keeps hanging on to his job. Uh, Oregon was, has recruited and has put itself in position to probably be the front runner in the Pac-12 again, but there are questions about who's going to play quarterback there and so forth. So uh, I don't know if it'd be fair to single out any one team in the Pac-12, but I do think Ohio State and Penn State and maybe even Minnesota, when you look at the momentum coming off last year's breakthrough 11 win season, um, those are three teams that really jump to the forefront of my mind that will not be playing football this fall. That might have been in been in position to to have once in a lifetime next season.
0: Yeah, that's true. Let's look. Let's go. We'll go. We'll go positive here. Make everybody feel a little better. Like if if these three co- power five conferences and the three group of fives decide to play, like how interesting will the college football playoff be? Because obviously you're probably get two SEC teams in there anyway. Get the ACC and and Big Twelve champions and like. Is this the sort of thing where people like sort of accept it and say, oh, okay, this business is usual minus those teams? Or is it going to be one of these things where, like, well, there's an asterisk because Ohio State didn't play in the in the CFP season or, like, didn't get Penn State or stuff like that?
3: You know,
1: one of the great parts about college football, great and bad, I should say, but one of the attractive parts about it is that it's not a level playing field. It's not equal. It's the sport of arguments, right? I mean, until the playoffs came around, It was up, number three should have been in over number two or up, you know, they were preseason number one and they haven't lost the game, so they're automatically going to be in. Whereas the playoff uh, is rotted a little bit as far as four out of five conferences, most years are represented and they go and play each other and they figure it out. Um, to your point, absolutely. I mean, if Clemson, LSU, whoever, if the other, if everyone else currently still playing goes forward and plays, I mean, the the cries coming out of Buckeye land, out of Nittany Lion land, out of Oregon, you name it, will, will just be astronomical. I mean, you think college fans were whiny before? Can you imagine now? <laughs> 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 when they're watching someone else play. Um, it, it, it's, it's the worst nightmare, I think, if you're a big or packed world school fan right now. But in some ways, you know, from the pure chaotic standpoint of college football, where you've had how many undefeated teams over the years not get national favorites shots, or... You've had however many teams back before either of us were born that claim national championships uh, because one out of a dozen different polls thought they were better than the others despite having worse records. I mean, as a Penn State fan, I know a lot of people who think the 1994 team among several others got a raw deal going undefeated and having great offenses and, and not getting a chance to play for uh, a national championship. So in some ways, you'd be throwing it back to the roots. Um, but it would be... Just thinking about it right now, I laugh to myself because, in some ways, it'd be very 2020, it would be very fitting. Um, it's absurd to think about, and yet, like, how fun would that be? With all due respect to my Big Ten and Patch 12 brethren out there, I mean, just imagine like the absurdity, the, the excitement every week of uh, like the UK Top 25 who's not featuring two of the, the power conferences. I mean, think about how many of the little guys, how many people, I mean, the UCS and Cincinnati for the world. From the american athletic conference would get rinsed and maybe even have the one and only chance that makes it a playoff because again we're only dealing with three power five conferences in this scenario we're not dealing with five uh the, the, the unintended consequences the potential for chaos and in some cases disaster and i say that in a light term football wise is it's mind-blowing and you know, as a viewer hey some footballs better than no football right i will take it um uh, but, but it would be very very chaotic been very, very fun
3: and just fascinating to watch them bowl. That's
0: for sure. I also be fascinated to see how all the other bowls sort of handle this. want to the ones that have the ties to the Big Ten or the Pac twelve. I mean, you could right. easily make the argument and say, "Oh, play the Rose Bowl in the spring at the Pac twelve and the pa- and the Big Ten, and the Pac twelve, play in the spring." But then you have all these other bowls that have ties to different things. You can see all sorts of re- musical chairs being done, trying to try and fit the games in it. It's also a hard sell. For me now, to imagine those two leagues saying, "Oh, well, they are playing for one bowl game in the in the spring."
1: Not even that. I mean there are more bowls right now than there are eligible teams. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there are teams playing. So everyone's going bowling this year, which means everyone's getting big-pack contract, big-pack bonus in their contracts if you're a coach right now, which uh, I, I wonder if those will be held uh, up in the court of law amid a pandemic. But they're not going to be apologizing for making more money, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And, like, how do you think, like, the awards would go? Would you think the Heisman, they would say, okay, we're going to wait till after the spring season where they just say war in December and say, sorry, Ohio State players, you're out of luck?
1: Yeah, I think uh, they. That you talk about tradition and, and firm and unbending, uncompromising. Uh, it doesn't get more you know old school than the Heisman Trophy. Um, you know, it was only until a few years ago where people would even entertain the idea of voting a freshman as <laughs> a yeah. Heisman Trophy better. So, uh, if there is any kind of football this fall, I see that going off the way it always does in December and uh, reflecting the, the this fall season.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And my last question is, obviously, as we get ready, hopefully we'll see some college football. Hopefully things improve enough or it's able to happen. Like, what storylines are you looking forward to out of the fall team so far? Leave the Big Ten and the Pac-12 out of it.
1: Yeah, you know, I think, can Clemson continue their dominance? Um, They've lost one game over the last two years, over their whole Trevor Lawrence era. Uh, Can they get back and and hit the put it in the context of a disappointment, but they lost the national championship game last year. They have entire case in their mouth. Can they run the table and win it all again? And if they do that, or if they're in position to do that, the most fascinating standpoint, I know a lot of New Yorkers will think this, and as a former beat writer, I think this. Notre Dame, playing for a conference title. I mean, <laughs> we, we forget amid all the chaos. I mean, there are no divisions this year in the ACC. Notre Dame's playing a conference schedule. They're playing, they're eligible for a conference championship. And I mean, they play Clemson in the regular season, but even if they go nine and one with a loss to Clemson, you probably get a rematch with them a month later in Charlotte. What do they do if they win that game? Do they just return the trophy? They can't defend it the next year. Maybe they do. Maybe they say, you know what? This is pretty cool. Let's do it again next year. Let's run it back. I don't know. So I think that's a very, very fun subplot uh, based on the schedule that we have at hand right now. And seeing what happens to Alabama, um, You know, they obviously got humbled two years ago in the national title game by Clemson after looking like one of the best teams of all time throughout much of that regular season. Um, They missed the playoff for the first time last season. Um, I think it's fair to say this is, you know, by Nick Saban's standards, a drought. You know, this is how they're going two straight years now, maybe three if they win this year without a national title, which is absurd to say, but that's the nature of the beast in Tuscaloosa. That is... That speaks to the power that Nick Saban has built in his decade plus down there. And like, they're, they're obviously going to be good. They're going to be a contender. But is Mac Jones going to do in a full season anything like what Tua tagaviola was able to do uh, the last couple of seasons? Probably not. But but are they still good enough to, to not only be in that picture but, but win it? Um, I think that's a big question. And, and if we're going to keep it in the SEC, what else are you going to do uh, after replacing so much star power? from last year's team, which uh, I sound like uh, I'm suffering from recency bias, but that, that's the best college football team I've seen in my lifetime. Huh? Um, I mean, they were unbelievable last year. They were like a video game. No matter how, I mean, down 10 points to a great constant team early, no matter what, what the situation was, it was just like they turned an on switch and they were unstoppable. Uh, and, and they won't end up winning that game going away. What, what are they going to be like this year? without Joe Burrow, without Joe Brady, without so many of the key pieces from last year? What can Coach O do for an encore in Baton Rouge this year? Um, there's still a lot of really, really, really good football teams here. Oklahoma is another one I didn't even get around to mentioning. Um, we're going to have a great season if these three teams play. It's going to be completely different. And again, I, I feel really bad for the Ohio State and Oregon of the world, but um, there's going to be a lot of really good football if these three power conferences and, and everyone else are who, still eligible to play. Uh, moves forward and plays this fall. But uh, no name no playing for the ACC title, I think, would, would really take the case.
0: All right, there we have it. Matt Fortuna from The Athletic talking college football. Thanks for all the time, I really appreciate Before I let you go, can you tell people how to you on social media and keep up with uh, all the great coverage you're doing over at The Athletic?
1: Absolutely appreciate that, buddy. I'm on Twitter at Matt underscore Fortuna. You can find all my work and all my excellent college, colleagues' work at TheAthletic.com. Please sign up for a free trial if you haven't already. There's something for everyone. You get in the door, you will have your, the best writers covering your favorite teams uh, in North America and beyond. It, it, it's, it's, it's just an awesome place to work in. and I've been overwhelmed by all the positive feedback we've gotten from uh, from readers so far. So I uh, appreciate you allowing me the opportunity to, uh, to sell, sell that a little bit here. I,
0: I appreciate the athletic. I'm a well-subscriber. had several athletic writers on before, so I appreciate you taking the time. I really do.
1: Awesome, Mike. Thanks, buddy. Stay safe.
0: All right, and there you have it. That was Matt Fortuna from The Athletic talking college football. Up next, we will do our college football legal stuff with our legal correspondent, Phil Frietta, right after this. Alright, continuing our series here on the podcast, is looking at the at the logistical hurdles some of these sports have to go through on the way back. We have finally landed on the football portion of the podcast. Joining me today, like he's done several times this summer, talking about the logistics of this stuff, our legal correspondent, Phil Freida. Phil, welcome back. How are you? Doing well, Mike. Uh, glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you back. It's nice that you actually get to watch your baseball team this time.
3: Yeah. Uh, last time, uh, thanks to the Corona scare with the Marlins and the Phillies and everybody else I didn't get to watch, but I've got the game on right now in the background. Uh, so that, that's, uh that's comforting.
0: It is very comforting and baseball it seems like they've gotten their act together, new protocols coming in place. And now there are reports out that they are talking about doing the bubble like we suggested earlier, like this season, they're talking about doing like three stadium bubbles with like California's mentioned I think Chicago, Milwaukee's an option, and New York, Philly's an option. They're looking for three ballparks, basically, to run like two sort of hubs. What are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah. Last time I was on, we talked about how uh, they should consider that, and I'm happy they are. Uh, I think it's a no brainer. The Both sides, the players and the owners, have a big interest in getting this postseason completed and the fans. Uh, so that seems like the most realistic way to do it. I understand that maybe for a regular season, a bubble was
0: impractical,
3: but for a playoff, it seems perfectly feasible, and I think they should get it get it up and running. Yeah,
0: there's another point you brought up last time, too. You said, hey, like, you can't have what's happening in the Cardinals, having the playoffs. You can't stop the playoff for two weeks, otherwise you're going to run out of time. So putting everybody inside a bubble seems like the smartest way to actually get the season finished, you, assuming you get there.
3: Yeah, what would you do? To think about it. Let's say the... You know, Some team in the playoffs, and now there's eight of them in each league, so more than half the league. All it takes is one team down for two weeks. What are you going to do? Do they forfeit the series? It it becomes a competitive balance issue. So, If you do that, uh, you at least minimize the odds of somebody getting the virus, as we've seen in the NBA and, and the NHL. I don't think they have a single case.
0: Yeah, we, we don't need to spend any more time on the NBA and the NHL. Like, it's clear the bubbles work. And I think from what I've gathered with baseball, it seems like what they want to do is basically have the eight series take place in the home parks. So basically like the home team and the road the home team brings the road team in, they stay, and then whoever wins those series will probably go with the bubble. I mean my guess would be the easiest way to handle it.
3: Yeah, and I think that it becomes feasible because then you're only talking about what is it? I'm
0: just doing yeah. my math here, eight teams. Yeah. So eight
3: teams in two or three cities, perfectly feasible.
0: Yeah, because the goal here is you want to have multiple ballparks to do it. You can't. You don't want to have what the a- NHL is dealing with right now, where if games run over, you sort of have to push the schedule around to make it work. I don't. I think that's a problem they want to avoid.
3: Yeah, you probably do it in cities like New York and Chicago and LA, where you have multiple ballparks. Uh, obviously, you're going to have a weird situation if you do it, say, in New York, where you could have the Yankees or the Mets playing their home games in their home park, and maybe they get an unfair advantage for that, but there's a, uh, doesn't seem to be another choice here.
0: No, I don't think it's much a home field advantage though. Cause I like the fans are going to be there. It's going to be empty ballparks, So it's not really much of an advantage other than batting last. Uh, that, that's sort
3: of true. Although baseball is unique in the fact that obviously every ballpark is different and you can build your team for your ballpark. Uh, it's not like basketball in that sense where every court's the exact same. So, now, the Yankees obviously build their team to play in Yankee Stadium. They have a lot of right handed power hitters who can kinda of poke the ball out in into the right center field test stream over there. So uh an advantage they have and, and the Mets are at least in theory should build their team for city field, but that's a that's a whole other story with the outfield defense that those guys have. Maybe they maybe they haven't done that.
0: Yeah, that's a theory for another day. Let's go to the football, which is why I think the more interesting stuff is the college. I think we should go there first because obviously, as of recording on Friday the fourteenth, the most the entire FCS is not playing fall sports. The FBS, the Big Ten is shut down. The Pac twelve is shut down for the fall. The MAC and the Mountain West is shut down. But some of the other leagues are playing on. Let's see your immediate thoughts on that. Where we are right now.
3: So last time I was on, we talked about this a little bit and I told you that I thought it would be immoral to play college football and I'm standing by that. Uh, And I think what you're seeing happen now is exactly the issue that I raised back then. If the NCAA and the big conferences want to continue to tell us that these are student athletes and amateurs, then how can you possibly treat them different than the rest of the student body? if the student's body's not coming back to campus for class, then why are the athletes there to play football? It, it just, it doesn't make any sense. So you would have to pay these guys. And I think that's what's going on. Uh, I think all the big conferences shut down. Um, I'm waiting for the sec and the ACC to, uh, and the, and the big 12 to realize that it's not just going to happen. it's just not going to happen. And I think that's coming in a matter of weeks, but uh yeah, that, that's that's where we are. I don't think you can play college football because if you want to continue to tell us that these are amateur athletes, then you have to treat them like amateur athletes.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that's interesting is here is obviously it's like the NCAA sort of really punted the fall championships thing because the, people don't realize that the NCAA is not control like college football's playoff. That's an independent entity. They control the championships for soccer. They control it for volleyball. They control it for cross country and anything else that plays in the fall. So. They basically waited until the enough of the leagues canceled. It went under 50%. Then Mark Emmer came out and said, oh, we're canceling, which that takes out everything else. So at this point, you only have the FBS football leagues attempting to play, which I think is not a great look for college. No, it's, it's
3: a terrible look because it's an obvious money
0: grab.
3: There's no other reason why they would play football other than money. And I understand that these schools are going to lose a lot of money without football. Uh, the, the numbers have been made public and uh, I think Syracuse university, for instance, even which is you don't think of as a football powerhouse, but they were in a position where no football is going to cost them hundreds of millions of dollars. So, so I get it from that standpoint. But again, the problem is that you have what you call amateur athletes. Cause you have a situation where the students are not being asked to return to campus. So. Why are the football players there? Makes no sense.
0: Yeah, my counter to you is going to be: I'm gonna make the I'm gonna ask you the argument that the has been made on Twitter by all the people who are freaking about college football. Like, let's say we go to Notre Dame, which is in the ACC. They're playing to play football. All their students right now are they're open the campus of students and students are going back for classes. And the the people people arguing these people are making like, saying, hey, the students are back. Why can't the athletes play? That's sort of the argument they're going on. What do you think about that?
3: Well, look, I, and I don't know Notre Dame. Specifically, But from what I understand, most colleges, if they are back, are back in some sort of a limited fashion. They're not back in a – they're social distancing the, the lecture halls, using hybrid classes, things of that sort. Football is a high-transmission sport. So it, it's it's a little different than saying, oh, well, look, they're letting half the American history class take the class in person. Okay, great. That's, that's not the same as throwing kids out there to play football against each other where they're necessarily going to spread this virus. There, there's no way around it.
0: Yeah. And this is one thing I look at the Pac 12, actually, I'm respecting them the most in this process. They actually put out a full document documenting their reasons why they're not playing football. And they said right at the top three big things. Number one, virus transmission in the areas where we're playing football is still way too high. And we can't, and then the risk of traveling by airplane to play these games is not good. Number two is that the health risk of the is with the myocarditis, it, that the Big Ten's had 10 football players already developed that just from getting COVID. And that's not good. It's a very rare condition to begin with. And the third is that the frequency of the test results is just not quick enough because they're getting these back like five, six days later, it doesn't do them much good.
3: Yeah. And look, I don't, I don't necessarily believe the Pac-12 that that is really what's driving their decision. I think it's the, keeping the charade of amateurism but uh uh yeah but the 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 logic makes sense there from a medical standpoint and you know i'm not again not a doctor but i think everybody sees that this virus affects people differently and some of the factors are even just body weight and you know let's face it football players are big guys especially the linemen uh they're you know they're I don't want to say overweight but but they're big they're big guys. So I would think that that's got to be a heightened risk factor.
0: Yeah, that's true. And they also bring up a point about the potential of the rapid testing being an issue, which is something we've heard with that they why they push back to the springs. So, oh, if we have a rapid test available because this is not the NFLs, I brought up. This is not Major League Baseball. This is not like billion-dollar like schools where you can say, oh, we'll just test them every day. They don't have the financial capability to do that because they also run the school and support the students going, and not just the athletes. So I think a lot of these factors also comes down to, hey, like it's going to be too expensive for us to do these tests as often as we need to to keep the athletes safe. At that point, they say, you know, it's not worth it for us on a liability perspective. Hey, look, even, the, even Major League Baseball has been unable to get rapid testing in the clubhouses. So why, why would you expect –
3: universities to be able to do so you're you're 100 right about that and that now that unfortunately goes all the way up to the federal government uh for their failure to get us adequate testing now what are we five months into this pandemic six almost six yeah still not adequate testing so that's uh you know if, if you want to look at uh, who are we going to blame maybe, maybe maybe it starts at the top there with the president
0: yeah, we'll get to him in a minute. But my point was more like right now the testing out available is that PCR nasal swab test, where they basically like stick the swab all the way up your nose to get the get the sample from up there to figure out if it's if it's positive or not. And those are not cheap tests, and those have very long turnarounds. And if you're a athletics department, like you don't have that kind of massive budget that like the NFL does to run the tests. So is it fair to the athlete to say, okay, here we go, like? Ohio State can test their guys like six times, like like twice a week. When whereas, like let's say Ohio University can only test them once a week. That's not as f- a fair. Right, so. right.
3: Okay, I, I see your point now. Yeah, uh, agreed. Uh, and and that's uh, a distinction between the organization of professional sports versus college sports. So you know, in Major League Baseball, for instance. Uh, the Yankees don't get more of a testing budget than the Pittsburgh Pirates. Everybody's got the same budget because it comes from the league itself. College doesn't work that way; it's the individual colleges. So you're right. Ohio State can obviously do far more testing than Miami University in Ohio can. Yeah, and that's, that's that's where you end up uh, with
0: disparities. Yeah, I think that's obviously the big one of the big issues with this, and I think. The thing that's interesting is that you are seeing like the athletes themselves are starting to speak up. We saw Trevor Lawrence's campaign talking about, Oh, like we want to play. They got the hashtag going on Twitter, a bunch of athletes speaking out. So do you feel like the athletes have gotten a fair enough voice in this, in this process?
3: Well, no, but, but they never get a fair enough vote in this in this process because they don't have a union. So they kind of, they're kind of at the whim of their schools. Uh, and and look I I respect if they want to play okay but it's not really it's not a decision that they can be able to make entirely by themselves because like we said earlier it has public health aspects to it so uh, but no I don't think the athletes have gotten a fair say because they they don't have a union
0: no, we've seen some of the athletes in the Pac-12 talked about, like, union type of principles that haven't come through yet. I think this is definitely something – I think this is – you started opening the cookie jar with that, and it's going to be hard to close it with that coming forward.
3: Yeah, well, um, and I can't imagine that the Pac-12 schools didn't take that into consideration when they shut down sports. So uh, I'm, I'm, They do not want the student-athletes in some sort of a union.
0: Yeah, I also think the schools themselves, I think, are concerned about liability in terms of like, oh, like, my son on the football team got coronavirus, I'm going to sue the school, like, and this has made me wonder, like, do you think that these schools, like, if they do, if the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 do intend to push on, do you think it's going to be something like, oh, like, here's a waiver you have to sign if you want to play, if you can, you can opt out if you want, but if you're going to play football, you have to sign this waiver absolving us of any legal responsibility if you get the virus.
3: Yeah, I think that's likely, although uh, I got to say that I personally think that the risks of lawsuits related to getting the coronavirus are overblown. Uh it, It's going to be an extremely difficult case to prove. How do you prove that you got the virus from playing football? You know, if, if I were defending that case, I'd say, well, where else did you go? Oh, you went to the grocery store? Maybe you got the virus there. Oh, you, you went to get gas? Maybe you got the virus there. So uh, I, I think it's a – I think people are overreacting about the danger of that. Uh, you've heard it from Congress also talking about liability waivers and, and things
0: like that. But but that said, better states than sorry, I guess, if you the school. But yeah, I do think you're going to have waivers like that. I think the thing you brought up is more interesting is the idea – I think the amateurism aspect is definitely the more interesting optic here, especially like I brought this up last week on the podcast. I said, hey, like imagine we'll go back to Notre Dame for a second. Notre Dame opens the campus – After three weeks, Notre Dame says, okay, we can't have students here anymore. We're going to do classes only online for the rest of the semester. And at that point, if you have the athletes on campus playing football games, you're basically opening yourself to the camera and say, hey, like, only your employees are on campus. Why aren't your players being paid like employees are?
3: Yep. And that that is the big reason that this is uh, shutting down, in my opinion. That is the bigger economic risk to these schools than – a lawsuit about coronavirus is to keep the charade of amateurism going. Uh, The, the NCAA and in this case, the power conferences are coming closer and closer to losing that issue. Every day courts around the country are giving these players more and more power. There's some California decisions that they can go make money on their likeness now and and things like that. Uh, So, the universities are afraid of that, and this is a prime example. If you treat these athletes differently than you treat the other students, you have broken the student athlete, uh, I guess, promise that you, you make, that they're student athletes, students first. If the other students are home and they're not, that, that's a bunch of baloney.
0: Yeah, and this is the sort of thing you, talk about. you see like, why you don't have an NCAA football vi- video game anymore because of the lawsuit by Ed O'Bannon a few years back to the basketball game and said, hey, like that's me in the game. I'm not getting any profit off the fact that I use my likeness to make a character in the video game. And stuff like that is opening up a can of worms where they're like, okay, well, it opens up to the haves and the have-nots. Like, I can pay more. And they want to sort of keep the lid on that as long as they can.
3: Yeah, sure. There, there was a time when uh, I remember this well, uh, Jay Dillis. Uh, obviously the college basketball analyst, also an attorney, uh, believe it or not. And he was on SportsCenter and he made a point that well, basically could have, I think, helped to win the lawsuit. Uh, but his point was that if I were to go at that time on the University of Florida's website and type in Tim Tebow, the number 15 jersey came up for sale. So how are you going to tell me that that number 15 jersey isn't Tim Tebow's name? Of course it is. Uh, I think they had shut that. I think they shut that down within minutes of him saying that on the air. But, but those lawsuits cause it's a it's a fine line, and frankly, I think a BS line between amateur and professional when you're talking about these high powered college programs of football and basketball.
0: Yeah, and that's true. Basketball is almost own issue. We'll, you can deal with that another time because basketball are talking already about like doing bubbles and stuff like that. So we'll see what happens then. But the football, now this is really the point where stuff is getting canceled. So the Big Ten being a big blow, and now you're seeing like blowback everywhere. The Big Ten is typically Nebraska, I think, is an interesting case because Nebraska has basically come out and basically like gone on like, oh, we're going to go try and find our own schedule and play games against whoever we can. I don't think it's a realistic possibility because they would ha- basically be forfeiting all their money from the Big Ten, and they don't have the least clout in the Big Ten because they just joined it along with Nebraska about, like, seven years ago. So what do you think about Nebraska basically threatening to go out on their own?
3: Yeah, well, Nebraska is another school where basically the football program is it's a tremendous source of revenue for the school. So they don't want to – I get it. They don't want to lose it, but that that's not going to happen. I, I can't imagine they're going to – uh, cipher off from the rest of their conference. That that doesn't sound like a good long term solution for Nebraska.
0: Yeah, especially when you don't know if you can have how many fans you can have in the stands, and that's another issue we can get to. That's more of the NFL's thing right now. But the thing that's happened also is that the part people involved in college football, the big some of the big stakeholders, are having big temper tantrums now that they might not happen. We heard Lou Holtz again go on his argument about how. We sent the boys to Normandy in World War II. We can send them to play college football, which again, you've pointed this out before. Such a dumb argument. Lou Holtz is losing his rocker.
3: Yeah, it's 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 moronic. Uh, you're talking about amateur athletes, not soldiers, not, not even professionals who are getting paid. These guys are amateurs. So it's a stupid argument, but it's, I get where it's coming from. It's coming from football two places. In Lou, yeah, in Lou Holtz's case, it's just somebody who loves football and loves college football. And in a lot of these guys' cases, like Nebraska, it's coming from a position of greed. But uh, but like I said at the top of the podcast, I just think it's, I think it's immoral to do that to what you call student athletes.
0: Yeah, and also getting a lot of political pressure. Obviously, we saw President Trump weigh in, basically jump around the players' side, say, let them, he tweets out, let them play. He's saying, oh, I talked to Trevor Lawrence, I talked to Doc O'Sweeney, talked to these coaches, and they want to play, they should play. You've seen a lot of governors in the South threaten, like, say, oh, they think they, they need to play football here. What do you take on the political pressure here being put on to try and get keep college football alive?
3: That, uh, you don't have to be a political junkie to understand what's going on there. And it's real simple college football is super popular in certain areas of this country, the Southeast, the Midwest, and I, I guess maybe you could say the, the, the old West, so to speak, Texas, Oklahoma, that area. Yeah. I think that's, that's the big spot where people watch college football, perhaps even more than professional football in America. And it just so happens that those areas of the country have a lot of swing states in them, Michigan, Ohio, Georgia, Pennsylvania. Florida, Pennsylvania. And so if you're Donald Trump, you know that your your base in those states wants college football. So here you are supporting college football. And what I think Trump's afraid of is what I alluded to earlier. There's a good argument that the reason we're not going to have college football at least in the Big Ten this year and I think it's gonna be in all the power conferences when it's all said and done, is because of him. Because he's failed to contain this virus. Uh, had he had he listened to the experts and contained it over the summer, I think we'd be in a much better spot now to, to play. Uh, had he taken it seriously all the way back in January and February and gotten the testing in order, we might be in a position where we can do uh, Rapid testing on a wide widespread basis, but that's not where we are, and I think Trump is afraid that uh, it's going to get pointed out that it's his fault that we don't have college football.
0: Yeah, that's something I'd be terrified of. if I was a, a Trump supporter because right now a lot of his base has basically only been affected, like like with their job. They can that they can say, "Oh, it's the virus," and the like liberal government being too too like, what uh, the words too conservative to reopening. They're trying to not letting me have my freedom. But the second that something they enjoy a lot, like college football goes away, they can say, oh, that's not the government. That's the virus doing that. And where's the virus lay? Donald Trump's feet. Yep.
3: And that's uh, and that's true of all these professional sports. I mean, the, the reason Trump has a vested interest in getting sports on TV so people feel normal. But college football, like I said, it, it is, I think it's probably a the number one sport in some of those states we mentioned, in Florida, in Georgia, in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, in Michigan. So if it's not on this fall, come and right when we're going to be electing a new president, there's a chance that those people who look forward to that every Saturday are going to say, man, this is Trump's fault.
0: Yeah, and he also is a f- big fan of going to these games, especially in the South, where, like, remember, he likes to go down to, like, Alabama games, give himself the big ovations. So I think it's also partially ego in there as well.
3: Sure. Uh, I mean, that's that's where his, his base is. Uh, knows that. That's why he, I think he was at, what, was it the Daytona or one of those big NASCAR races he was there, too. That, yeah. That's where his base is. Uh, you don't see him showing up to uh, some of these other events, like a baseball game in New York, for instance. But uh but yeah, from a political standpoint, that's all it is. Trump understands that no college football reflects poorly on him.
0: Yeah, and I think honestly, I think we're I think I'm with you. I don't think we're gonna see any of them. I think they they're just putting off the of the other three leagues. I think the longer this goes, the virus is not under control and I think they're gonna have problems if the students get back on campus and they're gonna start having infection flare ups because that's so many people over so such little space. At that point, you might, I think they're going to be forced to pull the plug before they can even get a game in.
3: Yeah, well, and and we know that that's the likelihood because we've already seen it with some of these uh, K-12 through 12 school districts that have opened up around the country, uh, particularly in the South because in the South they go back to school in August. Uh, a lot of them opened up, and a week later they have all the kids home again, on quarantine. Yeah. And I can't imagine it's going to be any different on a college campus. So. No. I, I think that's going to happen, and when it does happen, uh, the power conferences are going to have a hard time explaining why their football players are still there.
0: Yeah, and I think the interesting thing here is like if we do end up going to the spring, you have a whole different health set health and safety question because obviously in the normal football college calendar, you play, play in August, you go through the early December, you have the bowl game in January, then you have like a long time to recuperate. If you're playing like an eight game season in the spring, like how fair is it these athletes ask them to be ready to play in the fall again? And you have to, I think, you have to cut the schedule again to get them ready.
3: Probably, uh, I, I would think so. I, I I don't really know because we've never had that happen. But uh, I mean, I could tell you as somebody who played high school football and just anybody who watches football, it's a very, very physical game, and it takes a toll on your body. And it often takes months to get back to a position where you feel healthy again. And, and that's just not, I'm not even talking about injuries necessarily. Sometimes it's just regular wear and tear of the game. It's a, it's a very physical sport. So yeah, that, that's a good point that I haven't, I haven't really thought of. I don't know if you can have these guys turn around and be ready to go for summer camp two months later
0: yeah i saw a produce coach put out a modified plan for what he would do and it's like basically I think it was like eight games starting in january and then you have a very you have a long break and you don't start your next season until like october is 10 games so basically only you're playing 18 games over the calendar year but you, you don't do your typical spring summer build-up you have to give them a break in the middle yeah
3: that that sounds like a good plan to me something like that uh that's where we are now. It's it's gotten to the point where, like you said, we're coming on six months. If at this point you don't realize that we're going to have to change the way we do things, the quote unquote new normal,
0: then your head your head's in the sand. Also, I want to point out, I want to put some shame on those, on those school, football schools who basically put no thought into this plan of like potential of having to do it in the spring. Because everywhere we heard from is the Big Ten, the Pac twelve, like, oh, we never talked about it. we're going to be ready for the fall, and like. At what point did you not sit there and realize, like, boy, we're going to have a problem here? Like, this is just, like, again, it's sort of like the same thing the president's doing. Like, just hoping it'll go away. And that's not a strategy.
3: It's been going on from, like, the top down, from the president all the way down. It's going to go away. Of course, the kids are going to be back in school. Of course, we're going to be playing football. Of course, the movie theaters are going to be open. And month by month, goes by. And it gets worse and worse. It's, It's a real... It's a real shame because, uh, yeah, I've read and some articles saying, making this point, this virus has been extraordinarily predictable. It's done exactly what the medical experts told us it was going to do, dating all the way back to March. And yet we haven't been able to listen. It's, It's not like there was some, you know, turn or twist that we didn't expect with this thing it's behaved exactly like we thought it would, but we just, we can't listen. We, we, we're all in a rush to pretend it doesn't exist. And that's why we're in a position now where we don't have fans in our baseball games and we're not going to have college football.
0: Yeah. I do think we are going to have the NFL though. We'll start going that way. Now the NFL seems to have a better handle on things than college does right now. Start with the fact that they apparently have listened to us at, at least through the end of training camp, we're having daily testing for the COVID- coronavirus. I think that's obviously a smart step one in the right direction.
3: I think the NFL got lucky in the sense that baseball got going and they saw what happened to the Marlins and they seemed to react to, to that immediately. And you're right. they They said, all right, we're going to have daily testing. We're going to put in real protocols, not ridiculous. Nobody's gonna swap their jersey after the game. And
0: uh I think that it's gonna give them a chance
3: to get through the season, although I, I do have my concerns so
0: Yeah, I do too. Right now their thing is like they're also at the point where they want to do a bubble the regular season because I think also they're extremely impractical for a bubble because you don't have bubbles big enough where you're gonna have like play enough fields and practice to broadcast all these games and for all these teams to be live with all these personnel. So what I'm talking about doing is like a home team bubble, basically. A lot of these teams in camp, like the Saints and the Cowboys, does basically like all your personnel basically staying in a in a quarantine hotel. They're going from the hotel to the game, to the practice, and then back. And let's talk about this idea happening a bit during the regular season, sort of idea like of the home team bubble where you basically do the monastic where you go to work, you go home, you don't go out in the community, you don't go do all this stuff. You just basically go here and there and limit your travels as much as you can. Do you think this idea has, has merit?
3: It's their only shot. It's uh, so it doesn't even matter if it has merit or not. It's their only shot, yeah. because we've we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, and now I guess we can go into it further. The problem that football has, and you're seeing it, you just saw it with the Cardinals, right? it's the St. Louis Cardinals. I guess they're going to play tomorrow, but and the Marlins came back with the JV squad. You cannot do that in professional football. Uh, God, can you imagine let's say a team's got three or four offensive linemen sick. You're gonna play? You're gonna put a star quarterback behind some backup offensive lineman. It's not the same as putting a double A pitcher on the mound and letting him get his brains beat in. You're gonna literally let the quarterback get his brains beat in. And that's a that's a big problem. And there's no way if I'm an owner you know, you think uh, you think John Mara wants to see Daniel Jones behind a third string offensive line? I don't. I don't think he does.
0: No, so, I, don't, I don't think the Chiefs want to do it. With Patrick Mahomes either. Nope, no way the Chiefs want to see Mahomes behind a third string line.
3: So that that it's that's a problem that football has. It's unique to the sport of football. But this gives them a chance because if you can presumably keep the virus out of the hotel, and all you're doing is going to the practice field, going to the hotel. Then you should be able to do it. Uh, something else we talked about that makes a lot of sense to me is travel on game day. And I know these teams are going to complain about it, but uh, suck it up. Uh, there's no reason that the Giants, when they go to Philadelphia, can't get up early in the morning and uh, hop on the bus. Go on, hop on the bus, go on down to Philly, two hour bus ride. Get up at 9 o'clock and beat it by 11. Kick off at 1 o'clock. You're good.
0: Yeah, I think also, I mean, like, I think if you're doing it where, like, either you're in the hotel, like, or if you have a house, you go to your house. But I don't think, like, because baseball, the players, for the most part, are doing this, especially in their home areas. And they've seen that their test results, apart from the Marlins and the Cardinals, have been very good in baseball. So the logic is there. But the problem is, like, just, like, you have to trust everybody to do it. And last week we saw a guy at the Seahawks trying, like, sneak a woman into the hotel and got himself cut for that. And the NFL is clearly showing no tolerance to this kind of behavior, but like you need all the, a lot more guys to buy in. Than you do for baseball.
3: Absolutely. Uh, and, and we, baseball should serve as an omen to the NFL. Cause we saw what happened. All it took was a couple of guys on the Cardinals and the Marlins. Or, and and oh, I should say allegedly, cause we don't know, but allegedly all it took was a couple of guys to go out and, all of a sudden everybody's sick. Uh, I can't imagine that's going to be better in football in a compact sport where practice is spent in close quarters sweating on each other and breathing on each other. So I think uh, think the NFL needs to be extra diligent, uh, diligent about this and make sure that nobody is breaking that bubble.
0: Yeah, that's true. One thing that may be in their favor is that we've seen reports recently on Pro Football Talk that the NFL believes they're close to having a rapid COVID test, supposedly 97% accurate, which basically would cut the testing time down significantly and would basically be like, oh, like you spit in the cup and you'll know within like 15 minutes if you have the COVID or not. And if they have a test that accurate, I think it's not only a game changer for the the league, but for the country as a whole. I want to know how... How surprised would you be that they seem to have this and the country hold is not?
3: Yeah, I don't quite understand that, to be honest with you. But if if that's true, then you're right. That changes the entire game plan for America. You can have no reason you can't have uh, anything, really, then. You just have to have people spit in the cup, wait the 15 minutes, and if they're clear, you're good to go. If they're not clear, uh, then, then we got a problem, Um so, yeah, I think that that's, that would be great. I don't quite understand why the NFL has this technology and seemingly nobody else does, but if uh, if they have it and we can mass produce it, it'll help the country. If they have it and they can keep it, it's going to help the NFL.
0: Yeah, and two other things the NFL has considered. One, in, one's in relation to college football, and I think... This is clear. I think, like, if we don't have college football Saturdays, I think you can lock in the bank. The NFL's going to move some games to Saturday nights to get another broadcast window.
3: Oh, absolutely. I, I personally, I, and this is coming from somebody who's not a college football fan, I'm a professional football fan. I I like Saturday Night Football. Uh, and I think that the NFL, all the NFL has to do is, look at the ratings that they normally get on Saturday night games. And now look at the ratings that Major League Baseball is getting on these Saturday night games. Uh, the Fox national televised ones are getting huge ratings. So yeah, that, that seems like a no brainer to me.
0: Yeah. This is only like a one year fix because there is an antitrust exemption. The NFL has that they can't go on Saturday nights or Friday nights before the end of the high school and college football season. So either they got big numbers, it would be very hard to get the politicians to let them keep doing it.
3: Yeah, the uh, politicians are not going to let them keep doing it. You're right. But for one year where there's no college football, that seems like a no-brainer. Plus, I can't, Im- I can't imagine that Donald Trump would have to be thrilled about that if that happens. So I can't imagine the president's going to do something
0: yeah. to stop that. Yeah, I don't think he would either. And the other one is right now, there are still some teams out there that are crazy enough to think they can actually have some fans in their stadiums. We have five so far who said no, both New York teams, the Red, the Washington football team, excuse me, the Raiders, I forget what the fifth one is, but there are still some holdouts who think they're going to have fans there, including the Dallas Cowboys, and it's according to Ed Werner's Twitter. Cowboys owner Jerry Jones says AT&T Stadium has a quote-unquote naturally built airflow that can help keep fans safe during this pandemic. Quote, I'm really proud that we have that stadium to work with," quote he says. Stadium protocols for game days coming end of the week, and I just I don't get this. Like we are being told that the it's not safe for the players to stay outside the hotel. Yet Jerry's comfortable having fans in his building. I
3: mean, you you understand it. You just don't want to understand that it. it's money. That's all. It is. It's greed, uh, and and it's disappointing to see Jerry Jones be that greedy. But that's Jerry Jones, so like, I'm not surprised. But that—that's what it is. The owners are greedy; they want people in the stands because people in the stands equal money. And it's not just the NFL owners, you know. With, I heard the Cincinnati Reds are looking at getting people into their ballpark. It's, these guys are greedy, and they're willing to jeopardize people's health for it. And, and uh, you know, part of me says, do I do I blame them? Is it their fault? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's if you look at Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones shouldn't even have the ability to do that. Maybe the blame goes to Governor Abbott. So, if the politicians aren't preventing me from doing it, is it really my job to? Is it my job to care about the public health if they don't? I guess that's the question.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's more of like a moral issue where, like, you can see he's putting the buck ahead of his fan ahead of his fans' livelihood, and he's contributing to a public health crisis potentially because. Texas is one of those areas where the virus is spread is still pretty unchecked. So, like, you have like a mass spreader event. Let's say you put like twenty five percent capacity at T Stadium. You th- even there's social just you can't control out the amount of staff you have, and there's a lot of yelling, there's a lot of screaming. You have the mass on. There's still a lot of potential for a super spreader event there, and that's not a good look for an NFL owner to be having.
3: No, not not at all. I'm not trying to absolve Jerry, but what I'm saying is, uh, you know, maybe maybe he. Governor Abbott shouldn't even give him that
0: choice. Unfortunately, I think Governor Abbott would because FC Dallas down there, the MLS team has already had fans in the building, had 3,000 fans at a game like last week, and they had them spread out, but we won't know for a couple of weeks how much of a disaster that could end up being.
3: Yeah, uh, I can't imagine it's going to be good. Uh does not seem like... It does not make much sense to me, but, you know, that then especially in a place like Texas. I think there may be some places in the country that are getting better. I know that Governor Cuomo in New York is talking about opening up movie theaters and gyms again uh, and bowling alleys. We'll see. But I don't think people should be sitting in professional football stadiums uh, in the state of Texas.
0: Yeah. And just for reference for those people who say, Oh, it's New York's allowing stuff to happen. One, they're still not allowing fans in the sports stadiums that they that's, I don't think that's happening until you have a vaccine of some sort. And right now the infection rate in New York for a lot of these is like, it's been around 0.8%, 0.9% most of the week, Texas is still like well above that. And they're talking about letting 25,000 fans in AT&T stadium.
3: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not, not a smart idea. Uh, not not a smart public health idea whatsoever in in my opinion
0: yeah it's not for sure one last thing before i let you go like look i think we're sick of talking about the health concerns right now one interesting legal thing right now new york state one of the few one of the major holdouts in terms of the online sports gambling industry there are reports out recently that there is a movement to try and legalize online gambling in new york state do you have a take on that I think it's an absolute no-brainer, and I think they should do it tomorrow. Uh,
3: The state, it's no secret, the state has a tremendous budget problem now. The state was having a budget problem prior to this pandemic because, uh, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds here, but uh, I guess I'll go, and if I'm too far in, you can stop me. But uh, in 2017, the president, got his tax law passed, and part of his new tax law was that we were going to cap what's called the SALT deduction, state and local taxes, at $10,000. It used to be unlimited. So rich, as anybody who knows who lives in New York, your state and local taxes, especially if you're a rich guy, are way, way above $10,000 between your property taxes and your state income taxes and New York City income taxes, etc. So what ended up happening when that happened is a lot of New Yorkers said, screw it, I can't deduct those taxes for my federal return, I'm out of here. And they moved to places like Florida and North Carolina and Texas that have no or low state income tax. Uh, so that, that caused a big budget concern for the state. Now you've had the pandemic, which is an even bigger budget concern for the state because you obviously have people losing money, people lost a lot of money, lost a lot of jobs. The state had to expend a lot of money to get ventilators and things like that. So the state's in the budget hole and gambling is a, just seems like a no brainer way to get out of that hole. Uh, you Obviously the, they have it in New Jersey now. The state gets a cut of every bet that's made and God, people are sitting at home with nothing to do. You don't think they'd, be betting on baseball and football like crazy on their cell phones? I do. So to me, it seems like it's a no-brainer. It's an easy budget, uh, easy revenue grab that doesn't require raising taxes on anybody.
0: Yeah, I do think it's something, I think, especially given the very, very slow response from the federal government because the state has been asking for aid from the federal government for a while now, and it's basically been... Fighting in the Senate about how much money to give out in the next coronavirus relief bill and the, and the states never seem to get any of it so this might be something I know the governor has been opposed to this in the past it might not be might be a situation where they just don't have a choice where like we're not getting the money from Washington we need to try and come up with some so we don't have to cut essential services like cut like schools or cut salaries for firefighters or police and stuff like that Right
3: it's either that or raise taxes on people neither is a, a very popular option so why not legalize Sports gambling, let you know, let people like me and you sit in our house and we want to put a bet on the Giants game on our cell phone. Fine, go ahead, do it. Yeah, just understand that the casino that you place that bet with is going to be paying a percentage of that money to us, to us being the state.
0: Yeah, I think so that
3: it seems like no brainer.
0: I think it is no brainer. Phil, thanks for all the time today. I really appreciate. It. All right, thanks Mike. Uh,
3: happy to happy to be on and uh we'll talk soon. Hopefully uh hopefully we can talk some
0: NFL football in the fall. Yeah, hopefully we'll be doing some picks at some point down. Hope we get far enough along the road that we're having some fun games discussed. But have you have you been a Hard Knocks guy in the past?
3: I've never really watched Hard Knocks. I watched a little bit when Rex Ryan was doing the Let's Go Have Some Snacks, but uh no, I I've, I've not been much of a Hard Knocks guy. I, I'm I'm not much of a training camp guy, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm, I'm sick of, you know, every training camp. It's, oh, this guy's a star, that guy's a star, and you never hear from him again. Uh, I'm a sucker for baseball spring training where everybody's in the best shape of their life, but NFL training camp never really been much, much of a,
0: a fan. Well, I, am, I did keep an eye on it this year, especially because the two-team things and the first look at what football is like in the coronavirus reality. I'm going to break down the premiere of Hard Knocks with the great Joe D'Aluizio right after this. All right, we are back here on the podcast talking some Hard Knocks football. Hard Knocks Los Angeles premiered on Tuesday, August 11th. First episode of the books covering the Los Angeles Rams and the Los Angeles Chargers. Joining today, somebody I've not talked to since April during the NFL draft to break it down, the premiere of Hard Knocks LA, the great Joe D'Aluizio. Joe, welcome back. How are you? Mike,
2: it's been way too long, way too long, and you're far too kind. I am not in the great please don't 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 put me on a pedestal already
0: okay i won't put you on a pedestal if you don't want
2: thank you i appreciate that
0: yeah so we watched the premiere last night i gotta say after going so long it's been a while since i've talked about football on this podcast it did get me fired up for the start of the season assuming we get there
2: oh without a doubt exactly and as you just said assuming we get there which i think we will but you never know things are changing on a uh on a daily basis on an hour-to-hour basis uh you know, we've seen what just happened to college football. So um, I'm sure many people, many NFL fans are kind of concerned. But then again, you also do have some conferences that are going to play. So um, I think the NFL, as of right now, um, they are putting together all the proper protocols and procedures into place. And we certainly got a glimpse of what they're doing in that first episode of Hard Knocks. But, you know, your intro music, the, the intro song to hard knocks i mean if that doesn't get you juiced up if that doesn't make you feel like football's right around the corner some sort of normality here in what has been uh, the strangest year ever at least in my life I think you could agree with that too um you you got a good sense of uh of the future you got a good sense that football is almost here.
0: Yeah, indeed, and I agree with you. At the NFL is going to get to the starting lines because they have so much more financial resources than college, and they have the ability to test players every day, limit the spread, invest more in safety protocols than college can. I think that's their big advantage. I think they will get to opening day. We'll be there on September tenth, watching Chiefs Texans. What goes from yeah, no, there? Any question? Still wide open.
2: Correct. 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 And I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, they have, they have the money, they have the resources. The other thing that they have, I mean, they are paying these guys. That that, you know, this is their livelihood. Whereas, you know, you if you want to get into that debate with the college athletes, you know, yeah, they get free room and board and free education, but you know, it's it's a very gray area when it comes to college athletics compared to obviously a professional sports league. And and we've seen the professional sports leagues, and we we've seen what could happen, and we've also seen, you know. Some successful stories. I mean, look at, you know, MLS got off to a shaky start. They figured it out. Uh, basketball, they figured it out. NHL, they figured it out. Outside of a couple teams in Major League Baseball, they figured it out. For now.
0: For now. But time will tell. Time will tell, indeed. And let's get into the episode of Hard Knocks. The first time that they've ever decided to focus on more than one team, focusing on both L.A. teams. I think they had this whole grand design where they came up. It like, well, we're going to have them going to the stadium the first time, like playing all these preseason games. I think, honestly, not having the preseason stuff could help this show out a lot better, give them more time to actually focus on the people in, involved with these teams.
2: I think you're going to get an even um, a bigger sense of behind-the-scenes, right? Uh, you think of all the other um, seasons of Hard Knocks, and you have the game film and the breakdown. I think you're going to learn a lot more about these players. You're going to learn a lot more about their families. Um, you're going to see a few—learn um, uh, about— Players that you you wouldn't have the opportunity to learn about uh, without those preseason games. So I think um, you know behind the scenes they've already probably plotted. All right, you know we're going to focus one episode on uh, Joey Bosa. We're going to focus another one on Jared Goff. Um, There's going to be a lot more feature esque pieces within the each episode.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I also, I think, honestly, it's like, I think the McVeigh thing got me more excited about the Rams. We've seen them on as recently. I'm more into the Chargers, though, because this is a team we don't really get behind the scenes of too much. I'm very intrigued to see how they operate.
2: Oh, without a doubt. And Anthony Lynn right off the bat, I mean, if that speech didn't get you fired up, then there's probably nothing in life that's going to get you fired up. I mean, he really set the tone. Um, I thought it was really cool and unique how um, it was in a Zoom setting. And one thing that I like, because, I mean, Zoom has been the way that we all communicate, basically, on a uh, everyday basis since March. But I like the fact that when he opened it up to questions that the, uh, the, the camera crew pretty much and the editing crew decided to highlight some questions. And what that felt real to me, you know, because um, even now, right, everyone has so many questions everyone there's so many questions that people want answers to that you know even anthony lynn at that point was like hey i'm gonna do my best to, to to answer whatever i can and point you guys in the right direction
0: yeah that's true and speaking of that great anthony lynn speech i did pull some of it for from the episodes i want to play it again because i feel like every year they have like a great intro stinger and get you right into the into the theme music for the first time last year it was john gruden's great like Speech and he's going insane in the in the uh, meeting room with the Raiders. This one's a different approach, but I did like this. Let's listen to a little bit of Anthony Lynn talking to the Chargers.
2: This year is is, is not like any any year we've had in National Football League. There's going to be chaos and it's going to be change and it's going to come every single day. The goals, the objectives will not change. I can't promise you you're not going to get infected. I'm just I got infected. I've I've talked to some people that say they're sick of this virus. Or like, what the hell is that supposed to mean? Let me tell you something, you ain't promised next year. You ain't promised tomorrow. What I want to do is I want to limit your exposures. But then when that damn blow, let's go kick somebody's ass and play some football. One team will do this better than the other 31, trust me. It might as well be us. So uh, be ready for chaos. Embrace it. Embrace it, because if we're going to play, the team that held this thing the best now
0: is, is going to have the best chance of winning that trophy. I don't know about you, but the the music score coming in right after he reveals to the team that he had that he actually had COVID was perfect. It gets you really like honed down the moment. The music creeping on the background as the the uh, speech is going on, really great stuff.
2: Perfect timing. I mean, it, it it doesn't get better than that. And I think his main theme there is like, hey, stuff's going to happen, right? Yeah. And we got to be ready for that stuff. But at the end of the day you know, everyone has one goal and that's, you know, that's to win a Super Bowl. So, um, that I think that message was super, super clear and he wasn't saying or he wasn't trying to tell his team, hey, ignore what's going on. Like, hey, it, it's out there. It's not leaving. But we got to also focus on, on, uh, on the job that we have to do. And that's really the reality of like going back to work, right? So many people are now back in their offices they haven't been in their offices in Offices since like March, right? And the reality is, yeah, this thing is still here. But we got to get to work, all right. We got to, we got to, we got to try to get back on on a routine.
0: Yeah, especially football players are creatures of habit. They have their routines. and now they're adjusting and they normal. Such as what we saw in the episode, which I was surprised I went into so much detail about, like the COVID testing, and like we saw so many different players get COVID tested and. Peter Schrager pointed out on the Hard Knocks podcast, this is the first time the leagues actually let COVID testing be shown on screen and none of the other leagues have done that. So very interesting to see the firsthand experience of that.
2: Correct. And the other thing that I, yeah, that I enjoyed the most about that is then it, again, it, it hit home, right? It hit home. So many of us have been tested. Um, for those of us who weren't tested, it, it kind of gave us a glimpse of what it may be like, and the best part of of watching that was, and I thought it was pretty ironic, right? You have NFL players that put their bodies on the line every single week, right? And you got guys that are nervous or getting bent out of shape because of this test, right? Because of what they've heard or maybe they've been tested before. And, you know, these guys are made out to be gladiators, Right. Yeah, they get injured here and there, but they, their goal is to, to crush the opponent, basically, right? They want to win. They want to they want to knock guys out. Um, They want to hit them as hard as they can, and now here they are trying to get their COVID test or get blood drawn, and and they're a little scared. Like, when Aaron Donald's getting his blood drawn and he's like, yeah, I don't like needles, that, that like, completely threw me off.
0: Oh, 100%. The other thing this episode made ha- point a hammer home a lot was the whole mass thing inc- culminating with the... Sean McVeigh trying to find a workaround where he gets the face shield. He eventually gets told he can't use the face shield. Although his bit when he has the meeting with the face shield on and he's talking about like white, writing the, the play on the face shield and squeegeeing it all I thought that was actually pretty funny. That whole sequence.
2: No, that 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 was great. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I like the face shield more than the mask.
0: Yeah. You
2: know, if I if I had the option, I'd go face shield, no mask, kind of like McVeigh. Yeah. You know that he did a great job of trying to, you know, obviously add some humor to it. Oh, here's the shield. Maybe let me see if I could draw up some plays on
0: it. Yeah. Oh, he yeah, absolutely, he absolutely did. And I do think the other thing I'm curious about with Sean McVay is obviously you and I had fun back in April during the draft. We saw inside a lot of these people's houses, the coaches and the GMs. Give me the rating on the Sean McVay's uh, Sean McVay's place on the scale of Belichick to Kingsbury. Where is he?
2: Oh, Kingsbury. I mean. It must be like a McVeigh descent thing. Yeah. Like if you were part of the McVeigh circle of life, (laughs) you gotta you gotta have an awesome house. So like, as a Packer fan, I'm thinking like, all right, Matt Lafleur must have like a crazy house too. And if he doesn't, I'd be pretty disappointed. Yeah. Because, I mean, Cliffs was like bachelor level, but the view that McVeigh had, like McVeigh McVeigh's house. Was more of a you know all right I'm a settled settled down man I'm about to get married like, Mc, uh, Cliff just look like he throws parties there every weekend. Got the sense of that that
0: difference. Yeah, he definitely could sense that difference. I mean, I feel like Sean McVay, I, I give him mad props of the outdoor like fireplace like they had he had like right around his patio that was pretty cool and epic the epic pool and the scene where he's playing basketball with his dog I think was fun.
2: Mike, let me tell. Let me put it to you this way: if if Sean McVay said I could come over, but I have to sleep outside right by that fire pit, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Oh, me too. I mean, that view was insane.
0: Yeah, it's literally it's literally insanity that pad. And speaking of insane, the other thing that caught my eye during this was the whole saga of Jalen Ramsey's contract. Former Jaguar gets traded to the Rams last year. Now he's trying to play for the deal. The sequence, when he's talking to all the reporters on Zoom, he's getting frustrated They keep asking him over and over and over again about his contract. I just thought that was very interesting and very real. Yeah,
2: I, again, that's a, a great job of, of for, with Hard Knocks, you know, capturing that and getting a little bit more behind the scenes. But I'm going to be honest, like, Jalen Ramsey, not my favorite guy, right? Not, yep. not my favorite guy. But I kind of gained a little respect for Ramsey during that scene. Because he was as honest as could be. Like, hey, he's not giving you the answer you want. He realizes that. But he's also not going to just say something so that he could get destroyed in the media. You know, I, I kind of I kind of feel for Ramsey. You know, he could have just not answered anything and walked out. He was honest about it. Yeah, he was sure. But there's no reason to continue pushing it. You know, I like the fact that he came back and he said it too, like, hey, I answered your question. I'm sorry it's not the way that you want it, but that's as far as I'm going to go with this.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think it was clever editing of the show. They have basically him going through the whole thing where they're trying to like, probe him about his contract. We go to the charge of Joey Bose is going to contract extension, which I think is very fun.
2: Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. But, I mean, at the same time with Joey Bose's contract, I mean, that's a guy that they drafted. That's a guy that, you know, has earned every penny Not that Jalen Ramsey he Hasn't But You know A lot easier to lock up A guy that's been there Since day one um, Rather than a guy That you just traded for With that being said though The Rams have The Rams gave up So much to get Jalen Ramsey That contract is coming
0: Oh yeah It's a matter of When he gets signed Not a matter of If he gets signed And especially Correct The problem with them Is that they've spent So much on capital On draft picks And bad contracts They're in a lot of trouble People don't realize
2: Oh without a doubt Without a doubt But for the, you know to think, oh, are they really not going to sign this guy? I mean, that, that's just ridiculous. But again, look at the draft capital that they gave up just to bring him in.
0: Yeah, for sure. The other thing, probably also I think that intrigued me a lot, was the Zoom discussion. I forget which team it was that was talking about the kneeling for the Anthem and Black Lives Matter. I thought, like especially in this current climate and what the world has been going through the past few months, I thought that was very timely and very interesting to hear their perspectives on it.
2: Yeah, between that conversation, the COVID setup seeing everyone with masks, uh, seeing the benches being sanitized, the equipment being sanitized, um, the continuous, you know, coaching, saying, like, hey, like, not only do you guys have to be better, I have to be better when it comes to putting on on the mask and having the mask on. I mean, like, that's, that's what society is right now. That's what we're all going through, right? So the fact that... Um, hard knocks is able to capture all of what we are going through the everyday joe is going through i think it it, it really hit home for everyone
0: yeah it really did the whole episode I, I i sit there watching i'm like i want more of this i can't wait for next week because i think it's going to be so much fun to see like where they go from here especially how like week two this is a typical week one episode where they basically show you behind the scenes of the team that like Week two, there's no preseason games, so I'm excited to see what kind of stuff we're going to get we ordinarily wouldn't get.
2: Yeah, I think Hornet's was smart, and HBO was smart, deciding to do um, two teams specifically in the same city. That's the only way something like this would work, especially under the current circumstances. But with that being said, I think the thought process behind it was things are changing on an everyday basis, right? So let's just say, for example, that they chose the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. but an outbreak occurred they'd have to shut it all down then what do you do whereas yeah it could a could a breakout happen amongst both the the chargers and the Rams yeah of course but they're playing their cards saying all right in the event that one has to get shut down we have everything into place everyone in place here we could still make this happen and still provide a little bit on what's going on you know with the chargers because they've been shut down so i think i think it's really an interesting dynamic and it works really well
0: yeah i also think for me my mvp of the episode i think was anthony lynn the charger head coach because obviously i gotta give him props for the great the excellent barbecuing skills he was showing off when he was grilling with his wife earlier in the episode but the thing that really won me over was his conversation with the team psychologist about about how his experience with COVID and how he was basically talking about you know like I woke up one day, I had a cough feeling achy and I was watching a PGA tour event and the go- the golfer pulled out cause he was achy and then he tested positive and I got tested and it made me think about like, oh, you know, like this could have been me. I feel like such an outsider when I have it. I can't go anywhere. So I want to be a spreader. Like stuff like that. Is just like, so like real compared to like what we're going through right now.
2: I-, I totally think, you know, developing and seeing Anthony Lynn's character definitely helps him big time in- for for all NFL fans to really get to know him because, you know, I'll speak for myself. I didn't know much about Anthony Lane. You know, pre-episode one. Um, the one thing that you you mentioned is barbecuing. Can we get a little new school though and get the brush? I mean, his wife is right. <laughs> just buy the brush. I mean, you have the money. It's not like that's the issue.
0: I mean, just I got get a brush. I got the brush. I have a grill kit at my house. I just I always had the brush out there. it's time to put that barbecue sauce on.
2: But that's what I'm saying. It's nice and simple. Instead, he's got to get a paper towel, the rubber band. I mean, it's it, there's two extra steps there. I'm a little disappointed in Coach when it comes to that.
0: Yeah, but I, I did appreciate the knowledge, though, about like how he wants to, you know, like how that the slow cooking, everything. He's like he hates to use the gas, but he'll do it if he has to. He's more of a charcoal guy. That I respected.
2: Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He, let, he lets you know how to do it and how he likes to do it and the right way to do it. So I, I agree with you there. I thought, it's, for me, my MVP uh, was a guy that I had no idea even existed or played in the NFL. I think you know where I'm going. With
0: this, yes, I right? do. I
2: uh, Dante Dion. Uh, oh, yeah. I-, I thought he was great. You know, I love the fact that every single season, Harnox is able to find that fringe player that everybody immediately falls in love with. Yeah. You know, and for me, it was just like his 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 overall character, um, just cracking jokes, uh, just the way he he, um, you know, always smiling. It seemed as if though so. he needed a. Uh, you know he he was there for a good time and wanted to make the team, but he was just a character, and I and I love that. I, I really do.
0: My favorite part is when he's talking about uh, we've seen now how the locker room is different because they have to space everybody and how they have to build a secondary locker room. And like, mostly like your rookies, your your undrafted guys trying to get the team, they get like this basically the standing cubicle as their locker. You're like, okay, cool. He's like, yeah, we're in the projects, this is functional, this is like gets you what you need, but he goes to the real locker room, he's like, I want to get here. I don't even know what I need to do to get in this room where I have all this extra space. I have the cushioned chair. I can hide stuff under like that. I was dying.
2: Yeah, yeah. When he when he when he uh, tells everybody that the the veterans locker room are, that those. Are, this is the suburbs. Yeah. This is the suburbs, and then he goes to Jalen Ramsey and says, "You see that? He could fit all his cleats. I could barely fit one pair <laughs> of cleats in my in my locker." Yeah, that was great. But again, Hard Knocks does a great job every single season of finding that that one or two, two, uh, two guys that just end up being like great character guys that people want to get to know and root for.
0: Yeah, indeed. I also want to give a shout out to the to the uh, narrator of Hard Knocks, Leah Schreiber, who I don't know if you saw online on, online, but like he was doing this from his home. Like he had like his own like. Like bootleg sound sound booth, like set up at his house, where he's recording the footage and and sending it back to to the HBO people. I think he said they finished recording the premiere like narration the day the episode aired. So, really yeah, fascinating.
2: Absolute, absolutely insane, and and his narration like makes every single episode. Yeah, like say what you want about what's being filmed, what the players say. Like his narration and the way that the story flows. The way that he speaks, his voice. I mean, there's no one better.
0: Yeah, i remember Friends of the Pocket. Nobody. Friends of the pockets Ross Greenberg's always late about Lev Schreiber and I remember his first line of the of the season where he's talking about like how teams have to walk the tightrope and if you look like look it's surface level appears normal, you look closer, it's not like really great writing and really great delivery. No,
2: it's it's amazing. It doesn't get it doesn't get better than hard knock. I mean if H- HBO Sports, between its documentaries and Hard Knocks, I mean, it's phenomenal.
0: Phenomenal. Yeah, I can't wait. We were recording this after episode one. This should be out for episode two does drop. So what are you looking forward to next week on Hard Knocks?
2: Again, like you said, it's it's an interesting and a different dynamic. They, they can't put on the pads yet, right? So, you know, are we going to see more of the walkthroughs? Are we going to... You know, like I like I mentioned earlier, are they going to take a couple players and focus that episode on them? How much more could they see, right? Because we've 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 seen the setup of the facilities. You know, one thing that we didn't see, we saw them making the gyms and everything. We didn't really see them working out in the gym. So maybe you know that could be highlighted. I'd like to see that. Um, but so it, it's it's definitely it'll definitely be interesting.
0: Yeah, for me, I'd be interested to see what some of these guys are doing off the field uh-huh. to like keep themselves safe, or maybe, like have a player about like, hey, you know, like like I have to go to the grocery store, but like this is like i have to be very careful when I go because I don't contract a disease or something like that, or like here's what I'm doing to like stay like it's a sacrifice I make that I can't see my family because right now. I want to make sure I stay healthy for the season, keep my family healthy, stuff like that. I think is very interesting. To that. I want to yeah. see them go into that a-, a little bit.
2: Absolutely, and stuff like that is is very real. You know, again, we could all relate. We could all relate to that. We've all we've all seen or know people that have been affected.
0: Yes, yes, we do. Joe, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, uh, people follow you on social media. Give us some of the stuff you're up to.
2: All right, yeah, of course, Mike. So you can follow me on Twitter at Joe double underscore. Don't forget the double underscore.
0: Yeah, do not forget. You won't find him.
2: D a l o i s i o. All
0: right, Joe. Thanks again. Really appreciate.
2: It. Mike. Thank you for having me. Can't wait to be back on and breaking down uh, Week One of the NFL.
0: You know that's coming. I can't wait. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest Matt Fortuna from the Athletic for coming on to talk all about the college football landscape. Our legal correspondent Phil Fred talk about the issues surrounding the return of football to our lives, where's college, the NFL, and more. Also, I thank Joe Dallesio for taking the time to dive into the hard knocks from here. Looking forward to episode two tonight. That's gonna to be a lot of fun to dive into there. One more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at the early landscape of college basketball. What they're gonna to have to deal with the attempt to get a season going. Is I like they're playing to start one, and there's gonna be NCAA tournament. How we get there remains to be seen. Check out the blog over justendthesuffering.wordpress.com for all of my thoughts and suggestions or how we can play college basketball this year. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on any of those platforms. A lot of good podcasts coming into the feed of late, including our instant reaction the Rangers winning the lottery in the draft last week. That's been a lot of fun. That one has trended well on YouTube. Speaking of that, you can check out our YouTube channel, Mike Phillips on YouTube. All the individual conversations from these podcasts going up on the YouTube channel, including our chats today with Matt, Phil, and Joe. You can also leave your feedback and star ratings. That means a lot to me, helps the podcast even better going forward. If you can follow me there and leave some feedback, that would be fantastic. So follow me on Twitter at mphillips three three one. That's m p h i l i p s three three one. And inspired by Hard Knocks. There you go with the hashtag of whichever team you found more entertaining in the Hard Knocks in the air. You like the Chargers content better? Hashtag Chargers. Like the Rams content better? Hashtag Rams. Coming up next on the podcast, our U.S. Open tennis preview coming next week. John Stanley back as well talking movies. Maybe a bonus episode in there as well and more. Until then, hope you have a better week than Met fans. This has been the Just
1: End the Suffering Podcast.
0: I'm out.